support for this episode comes from Lalamand Brewing. Lalamand Brewing is a division of Lalamand Inc., a global producer of yeast and bacteria that aims to help breweries achieve their growth and quality goals by offering products, services, and education. Lalamand Brewing's premium brewing yeasts and bacteria deliver unmatched consistency, reliability, and purity, allowing brewers to take full control of the brewing process. At the forefront of innovation and always looking to expand on the motto, we brew with you, Lalamand Brewing recently launched Lau Brew Verdant IPA in collaboration with Verdant Brewing Co. UK. Lau Brew Verdant IPA is a unique strain of brewing yeast suitable for a broad range of beer styles, notably modern IPAs. To find out more about Lalamand Brewing and follow their news and product launches, connect with them on social media or visit www.lalamandbrewing.com. To make a mark in your field of expertise once is a sign of hard work and perhaps good fortune. To do that regularly shows there's more at play than a bit of luck. Whether you're in sports, a musician or maybe a director, to hit the mark time and time again shows that you're a professional and a master of your art. Not only that, but there's likely to be a grateful audience out there that appreciates and enjoys your work. And for a great brewer, this dialogue is no different. And for the longest time, brilliant brewers have loathed the term rockstar brewer. And who can blame them? I can guarantee today's guest, the venerable Colin Strong, will be the first to shun such a title. But there's no denying the absolute quality of the beers Colin has produced in his career to date. Not bad for someone who, in his own words, fell into brewing by accident. Hello, and welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast. My name is Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewer's Journal. To anyone that knows even a little bit about the modern beer scene, breweries such as Buxton, Black Isle, Marble and Northern Monk are synonymous with well-made quality beers. But you can add Salt Beer Factory to that list too. Founded in 2018, they're a little newer than some of the names we've just mentioned. But for a business that opened following three years planning, the same level of care and attention that went into the brewery build is evident in the beers they produce too. Thanks, in no small part, to head brewer Colin Strong. Following a career that has taken in those earlier breweries, Colin is now showcasing his wealth of expertise at Shipley's own Salt Beer Factory. Joining the business at the start of 2019, Colin had a good year under his belt before, like so much of the industry, had to adjust for everything that 2020 threw at him. It was crazy. We're looking back, yeah, almost exactly one year now. Um, the, uh, the, I have two, two other members of staff who were both uh, put on furlough um, right, right at the start of the first lockdown because we weren't entirely sure how much work it was really going to be. So because we, we've got a, a kid and my wife was working full time as well, we sort of went through a very odd working pattern where I was working a four-day week, uh, but I was working two, no, Wednesday through Saturday from 2 or 3 a.m. to midday, really. Then I'd come home, have fun. Uh, my wife would then start work after having had, had him in the morning because obviously there was no childcare. So that was pretty exhausting. But it meant that basically those four days I was in were basically transferring beer to us at for canning on one of those four days. And then on the remaining three, brewing, no, double brewing pretty much every day. So uh, 
yeah, we were turning out a fair amount of beer. The team's approach to brewing in lockdown would, in part, be informed by the brewery's main sales channels. But that didn't stop them producing a variety of styles either. A little bit of a mix of both, I think. Obviously, we were, like I say, sort of the supermarket production was really our main outlets. Obviously, we have 26 pubs in the Osset chain, and there's 26 pubs in, in the Osset estate. And sort of a bit obviously because of that, we had sort of the best part of 400 people on furlough. And, and um, yeah, so we, we were kind of the only part of the brewery really making any money or bringing any money into the company. So this kind of pressure was on to to do everything that we could to, to keep the, the cash flow looking positive. And yeah, so on the basis of that, we kind of, we really, when the supermarket thing took off and I kind of became a success with them, we really pushed on for that. So that meant that for the first, I don't know, maybe three, four months, we were alternating brewing uh, low ABV beer and then ICAT. So we were sort of brewing ICAT, Huckaback, Citra, ICAT, Huckaback, Citra, just basically sort of keep, keeping the core range on the website, but meaning that we had beers we could crop yeast from basically just to try and keep keep us ticking over. So the first sort of four or five months or pretty much the whole way through the first lockdown, we just did that. We just, just kept our heads down and kept making core range beers. And then as we started to head towards the uh, lockdown break at the end of last summer, uh, we decided that, well, for, for one thing, we didn't really sort of have enough low ABV stuff to kind of um, keep cropping yeast from in the way that we have been doing. So we decided we needed to add a little bit more of that into the range and basically try and utilize whatever free tanks we had at the time. So we have we have some 20 hectoliter tanks, which are a single brew size. So we started brewing a couple more of our sort of Vermont session beers around that point then they started proving successful we were just at that point we'd only really launched our web shop sort of right at the start of lockdown as well i think maybe even sort of in week one or two of lockdown was the first week that we'd gone live with it so we'd mostly been ticking off sort of core beers through that but then we started obviously getting these beers through obviously without being able to keg them it was just everything went in the can um but we noticed that these were picking up quite well and doing quite nicely so we started trying to utilize whatever brew days we could to uh start making a few more interesting beers and some stuff that were off core. So we did some different hop variety stuff. And then uh, I remember specifically having a meeting with Ned for <laughs> who's the, the brewery manager, sorry. And um, just being <laughs> sat with him in the office and I just went, he was looking at me, he's like, you don't look very happy, Colin. I'm like, I'm just so sick of IPAs. <laughs> Cause I think for six months, that's literally all I'd made were like New England style IPAs. I'm just like, I'm so bored of it got to brew a stout or something so then coming into winter obviously we were like oh well, come on, come on. We, we can we, we've got a few brew days we've got a couple of empty tanks so we did start like knocking some stouts in there as well and then i think around that point we, we myself and ned had just sat down and gone, Let, let's just get back at it essentially he'd, he'd said at this point yeah you can come back full time we brought one of the guys back off for a load to kind of help out with movement and transfers and whatnot and yeah, at that point, we, we started expanding the range again and started brewing some more one-offs and some specialty beers. And uh, yeah, it, it, uh, I think it was really to our benefit. Well, one, it stopped me getting unbearably bored, um, <laughs> which was becoming a real problem. But the other was it, it meant we could kind of show off a few of the things that we, you know, a few of the skills that, we, that we've got around the brewery and, and you know, making different beer styles and, and exploring that. So it has been a real passion of mine. So it was a real delight for me to, to be able to start to hammer that back a little bit. Beers from Salt Beer Factory have garnered an ever-growing fan base thanks to their presence on supermarket shelves. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the uh, having those sales and that direct customer relation 
I mean, it's very odd that you kind of talk about the supermarkets where we're almost just like another faceless brand on the shelf. I mean, obviously, the beer the beer sales in supermarkets is a whole different world now. But, um, you know, that, that you're almost to, to you're selling to the uninitiated in a lot of ways. You're, you're sort of preaching to the, to the blind about, about what they should and shouldn't be drinking. And um, so all you've got is your brand on the shelf, whereas the website gives you almost the exact opposite opportunity where you can you use your your can designs to, to for a little bit of customer direction, but that the people are actually getting there and getting a little bit of personal feedback from the brewers and from the team at the brewery. So they, they were the two things that really pulled us through lockdown, and I, I thank my lucky stars that they all happened when they did, because I, I, I think we'd probably be having a conversation about how I was looking for a brewing job right now otherwise. <laughs> While direct sales and supermarkets have been an invaluable route to market for salt in these last 12 months, Colin is also clear on the key role that independent businesses play at the brewery too. I definitely think it's less harsh than it was. I remember um, probably, I don't know, maybe like three or four years ago when um, someone like, say, Thornbridge or Wild Beer or someone else sort of, of you know, of a comparable size launched in the supermarkets that every bottle shop would be online, like pouring their bottles down the drain and the, the full backlash of how could you do this to us? The small independents have supported you. And I mean, I, I kind of, I guess I cut my teeth in, in, in brewing sort of through a lot of that as well. And I, you know, I, I do kind of, I do really hold sympathy with independents. And one of the, one of the discussions that we had um, before we agreed to start selling to Tesco's was we, we actually had a, co- a company meeting where we got the office team and all of the brew team from Salt sat down at lunch together and sort of talked through the pros and cons of it. And so the original plan was that, I mean, obviously this, as I'm sure most breweries plans were somewhat scuppered by um, by lockdown, um, was that our plan was that essentially we, we would move ICAT into Tesco's, but that we would replace it with kind of a rolling double IPA series that would only be available to independent bottle shops as, as a way of sort of compensate and to sort of show a bit of solidarity with them. Now, how many of them would have taken it up, I don't know. But um, I think certainly the stigma is a little bit less these days. I think that sort of more breweries have seen it as a reviable market. And especially if you look at the, the US model and what, what happens over there is that, but, you know, when a craft brewery not only start to become successful but the, you know their aim is to get get their beer at the supermarkets and, and to get the widespread you know they have like massive massive um off licenses that are you know huge nationwide chains where they try and really push the beer and but it's looked after very well and you know it's refrigerated and all that kind of thing so you know you've got reliability and the idea that the beer will be in better condition but i think conditions are really improving and i think uh the sort of I mean, I'm no great fan of the sort of price wars on craft beer that, that seem to be happening between Morrison's and Tesco's and everyone at the moment. You know, you, you still get sort of backlash from some bottle shops um, about, not just some bottle shops, sorry, some, some craft beer buyers, about sort of a race to the bottom. And when Tesco's are running deals of eight, six to eight percent IPA has been sold for two pounds a can, I, I don't think that's great for the industry because I think, you know, it does drive down the perception a little bit. But in a lot of ways as well, you know, the, 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 those sorts of deals are helping breweries stay alive at the moment. And I think that'll be one of the most interesting things to see what the knock-on is coming out of lockdown as to how many breweries get left behind. For Colin, it's important that breweries can leverage the sales channels available to them. We can't just be selling to the bubble. We need to be selling to new customers. I'm a passionate believer and a passionate supporter of independent businesses. 
But what supports those independent businesses is getting people who buy mainstream brands into something else and dragging them back. And you can't do that by just sheer will alone. And then I think there's sort of this other side where you kind of have people who are sort of in the craft beer bubble, sort of the really hardcore untapped massive, if you like, who were like, oh, they, they sold out or they, you know, they, oh, they're always just trying to grow and they're trying to make money. And it's like, at the end of the day, these companies are businesses. Now, I'm, I'm no fan of just like, you know, growing for growing sake. I, you know, I think it should be, um, it should be fluid and it should be representative of what the, what the beer reach is and, and what the brewery's intentions are. I think like a lot of the craft beer bubble would prefer it if all of their favorite breweries just appeared on the scene at five to 15 barrels and never grew and just served them beer constantly. But unfortunately, that does not keep the brewery afloat. In addition to the wealth of well-received IPAs Salt has produced, they've also put out a number of stronger, punchier beers too. And with the brewery's newly launched Hexagon project, Colin and his team are producing a diverse range of beers from the hop forward to the dark and decadent. The Hexagon project was something we proposed last year as a, almost as a sort of standpoint to, uh, I think, people being like, oh, well, they just might be over supermarkets. I think, you know, it was one of the things that you used to hear quite a lot. And uh, like I said, one of the decisions we made about the brewery when we decided we were going to sell in the supermarket was that we wanted to, to support independence and support smaller suppliers and, and um, try and give something a little bit, some, something to them that they that they could have as their own, essentially, rather than you know just just thinking letting the company become sort of washed over as just being the supermarket brand. So the Hexing project kind of was born out of that. I mean, at, at that point, I don't think we had any intentions of it being a separate, like separately labeled or separately thought of, really. But then I think it became important to us later on that we that we thought this this is somewhere we can go. I mean, we'll still release specials just completely under the salt label on its own off hexagon but the hexagon stuff is when we've come up with something that we're just like oh is that going to be too much too big flavors is it going to scare the horses is it going to be a bit too experimental and with that salt had a new home for some of its bolder and more experimental beers we had some expertly planned and thought through barrel aged beers in barrel at the time and when we were discussing sort of releasing those around christmas the idea came up that maybe we, we could do it as a, as a separate thing that would just be sort of slightly identifiable as a separate thing to, 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 the, core, to the core range, really. And the core range, I mean, it's, it's quite big and flavorful beers. That, that was always the intention with them. But this was almost to be sort of the chains-off version of all of those. So we had, like I say, the, the, we had two barrel-aged beers that we were sort of waiting to do something with for that point. And then, the, yeah, when, when we got down to discussing what we were going to do with them with the rest of the next project. When we have a great idea, let's not get bogged down in, oh, well, how much is this ingredient going to cost or how much is that ingredient going to cost and where are we going to put it and what's going to happen with this and what should this do? Just go for it. And it was kind of a vote of confidence in me and the brew team from head office and, and our office just saying, you know, we know you've got the chops to make some really amazing beers, so get all of you down there and do it. And while the Hexagon project launched with barrel-aged Baltic porters and barley wines, it's not all about high ABV releases. Sort of in terms of the, the beers we've released so far, there's been three barrel-aged beers, which we're very proud of, a sort of non-pastry pastry stout, where we tried to use sort of real fruit instead of just using essences to, to try and make that really pop. But then, so the initial four releases were all kind of 
slightly bigger, easier, double-figure ABV beers. But then to kind of keep it mixed up and fresh, then number five was a session I said, which called sort of called Hexagon Five Supersonic, which is uh, a take on our Citra IPA using some different hop products. So it's kind of a HDHC high-density hop release with Citra using uh, Incognito T90s, BBCs, Cryo Hops, and this new Spectrum product from from uh, Barth House. And trying to cram all of those in and just to see what we could do in the way of sort of body and flavour profile of a low ABV beer. And for Colin, it was important that this strand of salt's output was anything verging on the predictable. Exactly that, and we kind of just, just didn't want it to become this sort of one-note thing where it was like, oh, that's just for the release of big beers, you know. So it was, a, it was a chance as well, I guess, to, because we have turfly. Obviously, they retail at a fairly high price point, I guess. It just meant, it meant that, you know, you know we're going to release this session beer because of sort of the those all of those additions. It, it was probably going to be pricier than the average pale on the street. But we thought, well, we can stick it kind of under the hexagon banner and kind of do something a bit different with it. And then sort of the sixth release, which will be coming soon, is a double IPA, again, using lots of different hop products, but this time using sort of six different varieties of hops rather than single hop. And it's 9.1, I think. So, yeah, we just didn't want it to be a series of beers that became, it's just the barrel-aged stouts or it's just big ABV stuff. We wanted wanted to be about freedom to play with beer in, in a much wider scale. And I think further to it just being sort of traditional, either hoppy, or larger beers, it will also then increase again and start to include saisons and mixed fermentation beers and then starting to use like different fruits and things as well. So we're, it, it it's basically to be beer without limits is really what the intention of it all is to be. But regardless of style, Colin places quality and stability at the front and centre of any beer the brewery puts out. I think it's a very uh, a very pertinent question, given certain releases that have been widely talked about on social media recently. Like, I mean, we it's a very odd question because I do believe that there is nowhere near enough QC across the craft beer industry. Like, I think there are certain breweries who do it immaculately well, and you know, who who will never release a beer until they're 100% happy it's going to be perfect. You know, those breweries are to be lauded and praised. But there's also an absolute raft of chancers who'll throw anything into a beer, release it, and not only will it get out there and even, you know, beyond having to be like product recalled, will actually be released dangerously, like in, in a genuinely could explode and injure someone. But then that the beer buying public, on top of that, then give it like a 4.8 on on tap. <laughs> and so, you know, in a way, give the people what they want, I guess. I mean, for my part, I would be absolutely ashen-faced and totally ashamed if one of my beers got out and, you know, that was the, the reception it got. But, you know, for, <laughs> if, if I want to put my journalistic hat on, no news is bad news and no publicity is bad publicity. So um, those guys are, and I'm not thinking of one brewery in particular here, I'm, I'm thinking of several, 
that they're probably more famous than they ever should be, or some people might say have any right to be, but they are out there. And the kids in massive inverted commas seem to really love that sort of thing. They love the extremeness of it. Yeah, man, nearly blew my hand off. Five stars. While Colin is celebrating more than two years at Salt Beer Factory in 2021, one beer he's asked about time and time again is Yellow Belly, a collaboration he carried out with Omnipoyo during his time at Buxton Brewery. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I have come out against that beer a couple of times, but it's probably the slight anger that, and maybe the slight jealousy as well, but like a lot of times I meet new brewers and I'm like, oh, Yellow Belly then. I'm like, Jesus, that was years ago. Give me a break. <laughs> but... Um, it, it was a fantastic beer. Like I, I still love it to this day, and I, you know, I, I, I do genuinely have a have a real soft spot for it because obviously it did a lot for my career as well. But the beer itself, I think, was I don't think I'd ever tasted a pastry stout until that beer was made, or maybe at least it, while it was in the process. I was talking to Henock at Omnipolo quite a lot about whether there were the sort of things of that style, and they were making Aeon. Aeon Noah, as it was at the time, at uh, Demolin. So we were helping the original, um, the second Rainbow Project with Omnipolo. And generally, the original release for that beer was going to be a beer that later got released as Stolen Fruit. So it was a um, much lower ABV kettle soured beer with grapefruit and grapefruit zest because we'd had the discussion going, everyone's going to release like a big stout, so we should release something that's almost like the polar opposite, just kind of shock. So on the day when we were brewing it, uh, Henock came over and myself and him went to Morrison's that morning. And we, we had quite a lot of uh, grapefruit and limes in, but we went to Morrison's, cleared them, cleared their shelves. Like we're going up the staff, just going, right, have you got any more on the back? Because we just were on the day, just going, fuck it, let's just go. Abs- Sorry, can I swear? It's all right. <laughs> Sorry. We'll just uh, we'll just go hell for leather at it, and uh, you know. So we got all of the grapefruits and limes in Buxton, I think, uh, and took them all back to the brewery. Myself and Hanok and Jake, who was my assistant at the time, all sat round a table, um, zesting and and deducing them uh, while the beer was coming up to boil from kettle souring over the weekend, and then we uh, boiled it through. But in the discussion of that day, anyway. We started talking about different beers and we sat, we were trying a couple of different sort of omnipolar beers and then discussing what we could do. And the original discussion was maybe we should do something where it's like a barrel-aged beer that's never been in barrel. And also that is like three-day-old fresh. That was the original discussion we'd had. And we were got talking about these guys at the University of Stockholm, I think it was, who um, he was working with on some of the different flavoring ideas that they'd been talking about. So then, yeah, we hit on the idea through sort of loads of back and forth discussions about uh, the beer being peanut and biscuits, but that was allergen free and that, that had never been near either peanuts or biscuits. So, yeah, so from there, I mean, the idea was to just kind of make it as big, big bodied, like a really big rounded monster beer. Um, so I went away and I designed the malt grist. Uh, Henock sorted out the flavorings and we had like a lot of back and forth discussions about what we wanted the beer to be and then we just kind of I guess the wrapping became the other bit it was actually that the, the, the day the wrapping decided I remember very distinctly was at McKellar Beer Celebration in Copenhagen or Copenhagen Beer Celebration as it was at the time 
uh, going down and was still chatting with Henock and Carl there. And uh, Henock was like, we've had an idea for the rapper. And he come in. I was like, all right, okay, let's have a chat about it. Like, I don't know, come with me. So you need to talk to Carl about it. So we walked down to Omnipolo's stand and Carl was drawing on their uh, little nameplate. And Henock goes, hey, hey, Carl, show Colin what you're thinking about for the design. And he just drew this little bottle with the like, Ku Klux Klan thing on. And I was like, oh, my God, what? So we we had a quick discussion about it. And yeah. That was where the whole thing then tied together. And it was the construct of the beer itself that was so heavily tied into the message behind this particular release. So obviously we had to list the ingredients because, you know, it had to be released legally as a beer. But the discussion was that we wouldn't, you know, without like really being probed or really discussing how we got the flavour in there, we weren't going to talk about it. And then that being about hiding things. And then this kind of moved on to the political system in the in across, well across Europe and the world at the time, where they were sort of starting to notice more and more the rise of the right wing and sort of uh, you know fascism and all of these things starting to come back. And how a lot of these people, you know, we were then talking about the the polls in America where uh, people were coming out and saying that they had voted a different way than they had, and like, so, like something like twenty percent of the people were saying they had voted for a right wing party. But then the right-wing party were getting in with like 15, 60% of the votes. The conversation would soon shift to the existence of the Ku Klux Klan, the supremacist terrorist group that would spread hate under the cover of disguise. It wasn't a 100% easy decision. The other guys at Buxton did not want to release that label at all. And there was a lot of discussion about what we were going to do with it. The original design didn't have Yellow Belly written on the label either. It was just going to be the white bottle with the hood. And um, there, there was no way Buxton were going to allow that to be released. They didn't want it to happen at all. So um, the compromise was we'll have Yellow Belly written on the front so it, you know, in a, in a step could be separated from that. I mean, we genuinely thought we were just going to get loads of hate mail from the US. I think there was a big part of that. We thought we'll have nail bombs arriving in the post and all that sort of business. But um, as far as I know, we never did. Or maybe they just kept us from it. I don't know. <laughs> On the other side of the spectrum, another beer Colin is particularly proud of is a saison he produced with Arizona Wilderness. Probably my favourite beer I've ever made was a Deep Rainbow Valley, which was a again part of the Rainbow Project. That is a pure coincidence, but uh, that was a collaboration uh, our friend uh, Arizona Wilderness, um, which was a nine percent saison with. Uh, orange juice and amarillo it just worked very well so we did two separate versions of it in fact so the the, the version that went out on the rainbow project didn't have any breath in it the, the, the second one that we packaged all into seven 50 mil bottles we we breaded in tank it, again it was sort of a very good timing thing where i discussed some of the wilderness guys and we were like right, okay we can get all some breath that'd be wicked and it just so happened my friend jay who now works at cloudwater used to have quantum brewery uh, over in Stockport, and he had just done 100% uh, Brett fermented IPA. So he was like, oh, yeah, just come over and you can just crop off that. So we, we fermented the beer out just using Saison yeast. I think it was it was French Saison. Um, and then we fermented out and then added the Britannomyces and somewhat foolishly tried to use the Britannomyces to bottle condition the beer, which is never great because it, it, it's a beer that, uh, a yeast, sorry, that struggles sometimes, but it worked really nicely. But in the here and now, Colin is looking forward to a successful year ahead. The plan going forward this year is at the moment we're just advertising to hire another member for the brew team. 
uh, we're looking for a, a lab technician. You know, just sort of speaking, obviously, about QC as we have done today. Uh, we're looking to just improve our processes, improve our handling, just so that the beers can just kind of take that next step into like, being really, really polished and perfect. And, you know, hopefully absolutely shining every time someone gets their hands on them. So, so that, that's our next big thing is we're, we're just in the middle of that drive at the moment. And then it's just we're basically knuckling down this year and just, you know, going for it, striving for improvement. Obviously, we did a small expansion uh, last year in the middle of lockdown and we've just about hit capacity uh, with that, so pretty much, sort of, we're all about four or five months down the line. We're, we're, we've just getting ourselves into the routine of filling those tanks uh, completely regularly. So we're, we're just trying to make sure that the, the brew team are happy and comfortable and well rested, but that we're all busy and successful as well. So we're we're just trying trying to find that balance at the moment. But but, but the plan for this year is just to improve, as it has been every year. I mean, just to kind of look at look at the hexagon stuff see um, what, what beers we really, really fancy making, if there are styles that we really want to approach or, or sort of new techniques, new products that we can get in, and then that's going to be something good. And hopefully uh, this hire will, will free me a little bit more time to sort of speak to suppliers and and, and just do a little bit more research and, and get all of those sort of things nailed down a little bit tighter. And following a challenging but rewarding 2020, Colin is still very much enamoured by the brewing industry he's made his name in. Yeah, like I think, like anyone, I have my moments. I, th- I think sometimes you just think, "What the hell is going on?" Like, and I mean, you know, when you see <laughs> keep going on about this, like the old man shouting the clouds, but the the uh, when you see sort of like beers being made there and getting released and they're being, you know, in- badly handled and infected and having to be recalled, still making like massive scores. You think, "Who am I doing this for? Is this for the?" You know, is this for the beer geeks anymore? But I think maybe just as I've gotten a bit older as well, you know, I've been doing this a while and I am enthused, but the things that I'm really enthused about now are like really great lagers, um, like West Coast IPAs, like make a process and making sure that things are perfect rather than just going, yeah, we threw all this flavor in and like I'm not in any way opposed to any of that. I love big flavors and beers and I love challenging what flavors are and can be in a beer. But at the same time, I want to make sure that that is not going to take anyone's thumb off while I'm doing it. The Brewers Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media. Produced and hosted by me, Tim Sheehan. Sound engineering is by Ross McPherson. Series supervision is by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And a special thank you today to Colin Strong of Salt Beer Factory.